0: turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, the Gospel of Luke is in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. We're looking at chapter one of the Gospel of Luke this morning. We're going to have an amazing time because we've already been having an amazing time in a series we've been doing here at Thrive. It is called A Luke at Christmas. Everyone say, A Luke at Christmas. Don't let the cheesy name fool you. The fact is this, as we take a look at Christmas together, we've been looking at the gospel of Luke. It's because if you want to find the most detailed account of the Christmas story, if you want to find the most powerful account of the Christmas story, if you want to find the most thorough account of the Christmas story, then you want to take a look at the gospel of Luke. And we're going to find this as we're going through the gospel of Luke and we're looking at chapter one again today, is that as we go through the Christmas story as according to the gospel of Luke, you're going to find that not only are we going to understand more of the Christmas story like never before, but even more, you're going to find that there are real-life practical lessons that you can apply to your time right now, not just during Christmas, but all around the year, if you believe that, say amen. Have you had a good time doing a Luke at Christmas together? We've had an amazing time so far, and this morning I got the privilege of sharing the next installment of the series with you this morning. Next week I got a powerful message to share with you, but this morning I'm excited for this message as well. I want to ask you to do this with me. As you turn to Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 57 to 80 together, verses 57 to 80. Before we read this passage out loud together, let me ask you this question today. Have you ever had an argument with someone? Where you, uh, don't don't answer it yet. Uh, Have you ever had an argument with someone who uh, was arguing with you because you were fighting over what to name something? Has that ever happened to you before? Maybe, you know, you and your husband or you and your wife were arguing about what to name your child. Uh, Maybe you and your sibling were arguing over what to name a a new pet in your family. Oh, his name is Mr. Fluffy. No, his name is Bubbles. No, his name is Macho Man or whatever you want to call him, and you're just arguing over the name. Maybe, you know, in a business, you and your business partner can't agree on the name of your business or the name of a product. Speaking of products, uh, Pastor Charlie and I, we have two very special products in our home. Uh, Their names are Bradley and Caleb, and fortunately, uh, we've never had an issue with naming our kids in terms of we've never argued about it. We've argued about other things, right? We've, we've, you know, you know, as married couples do, but we've never argued over what to name our kids. Partly, I think it's because I've never had the desire to call my sons uh, JB Jr. or uh, JB Jr. the third. You No, know, never had the desire to do that. Uh, and so for more or less, we have been on the same page when it comes to naming a baby. Why is it that we're talking about this today? It's because this morning we're looking at a passage where there is a very heated argument that's going on about what to name a very special baby. Would you look 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 with me at Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. We're going to look at these 23 verses together, and I want you to read it in a big, loud voice. You guys are our 930 service. You are alive. You're expecting. You're involved. You're out loud. You're united. So let's show it that way as we read God's word together. Let verse 80 ring as loud as verse 57. Let's all read loud in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak praising God. The neighbor's were all filled with awe, and throughout the whole hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace and the child grew and became strong and spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel you guys did an awesome job give yourselves a big hand give God a big hand here in this place right now when you guys read loud and strong, when you guys respond well, it helps me so much as well. I want to thank you for that. And before you do anything else, can I tell you what the title of our message is this morning? Would you turn to your neighbor and tell them the title? And would you tell them in whatever tone you want? You can do it very nicely. You can do it very meanly. Whatever way you want, you can say to them, can you speak up a bit? Can you speak up a bit? This is the name of our message this morning. Can you speak up? a bit but before we get into what that means and you're going to understand that in just a little bit but would you turn with me to verse 76 verse 76 because this is going to set the stage for everything we're talking about this morning look at verse 76 of Luke chapter 1 with me what does it say it says and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins would you do this with me right now if you have your bibles in front of you would you underline these very very important words salvation Through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, Christmas at the end of the day is not about Santa. It's not about shopping. It's about salvation. Notice it doesn't say salvation through our good works, it says salvation through the forgiveness of of our sins. That's because you're going to find that the very unique thing about Christianity, which is unlike any other religion, faith, philosophy in the world, is this. Whereas every other religion, faith, philosophy in the world is going to tell you, if you want salvation, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be with God, if you want to become a God, if you want enlightenment, if you want nirvana, if you want to get to that paradise, it's about your performance. It's about what you have to do to get there. But the Bible says a completely different message, which is that there's nothing we could do to get to a perfect God that God is perfect, we are not, God is sinless, we are sinful, and no matter how much we think we do, no matter how good we think we are, there's no way that we could reach God on our own. And the punishment for our sin, this attitude of wanting to do things our way, not God's way, do things how we want, not the way God wants, this attitude called sin separates us from God, such that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That the punishment we deserve for that attitude of rebellion and sin is that we should be separate from God and have nothing to do with him. But the great news of Jesus Christ is that because God loves you and me, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. How would God make forgiveness possible? How would God effect salvation through the forgiveness of sins? It's through the man Jesus Christ. And look look at verse 78 with me together. Could you read with me the big loud voice It says, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. See, this is talking about Jesus. He's compared to a rising sun. That like a sun he would shine upon us with the most amazing life that we've ever seen. With like a sun he would shine upon us teaching us the path of peace. And he, what he would do is he would die on the cross to pay for your sins. having you us know that in the Bible, forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is not just, oh, I forgive you, no big deal. But forgiveness because God is a holy God and no sin can stand in his presence. And God actually has wrath toward anything that is evil. He wants to punish anything that does wrong. Because of that, Th- forgiveness in the Bible is not cheap. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But because God loved you, because He God, lo- God loved me, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take our place and to die for us, to shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to shed our blood. And that is the amazing thing. Thing that Jesus does for us. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. That's what he did for you and for me. And not only did the Son die on the cross for our sins, but He also rose again as well. That's why He's called the Rising Sun. And they call Him the Rising Sun. He's the Rising Sun. Jesus rose again to show that He is no ordinary person, but He is who He claimed to be. He's the Son of God, and that death has no hold over Him, that He is the Savior that we need, and His sacrifice gives us the forgiveness of sins. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place together, because that's what He did. Now, to prepare the way for this rising sun. To prepare the way for Jesus to come, to bring the forgiveness of sins. God would send a man ahead of Jesus. His name is John. He's actually Jesus' cousin, just a few months older than Jesus. And his destiny was to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. And in this passage that we're reading today, we're looking at the story of John's own miraculous birth. Because if you've been following along in this series called A Luca Christmas, you'll know that there are two very special people called Zechariah and Elizabeth. Everyone say Zach and Liz. Zach and Liz, they are an elderly couple. Uh, By elderly, you don't don't think maybe 70s or 80s, maybe even 90, maybe even more than that. They are an older couple, and despite being God-fearing, despite wanting to have a child, despite trying for a child for many, many years, for some reason, they were never able to have a baby. And what we're going to find out is this, is that the reason why God never allowed them to have a baby was not because God was cruel. It's not because God wasn't there. It's not because God didn't care. It's because God was writing a greater story in and through the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it's a reminder to you and me today is that things are not going your way. If you've experienced a closed door, if things are not really making sense to you right now, if things aren't happening the way that you hope, it's not because God is being cruel that he allows that to happen. It's because he's writing a greater story in and through your life. Amen. Amen. And that's, what's doing, that's what he's doing in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life as well. And so one day, an angel appears to Zechariah. He's a priest in the temple of God. He's burning incense by himself. When all of a sudden, whoo, an angel appears before him. His name is Gabriel. He says to Zechariah, Zechariah, you and your wife are going to have a baby in your old age. And you're going to name him John. He is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so Zechariah hears this announcement and he doesn't believe it he looks at himself he looks at his barren wife and he thinks to himself can i really be sure of this i don't really believe this and a little offended the angel comes back to him and says well it's going to happen anyway and the fact is because you didn't believe my words you will not be able to speak until the day it happens huh and that's going to happen for you. That's going to happen to your wife. Your wife is going to have a super peaceful nine months of pregnancy because you're not going to be able to talk. And then Zechariah, he goes back home, unable to speak, and Elizabeth does indeed get pregnant. Elizabeth does indeed give birth nine months later, and now it's time to name him. Let's look at verse 57 of Luke chapter 1, and let's break this down a bit. Look at verse 57. What does it say? It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Stop right there. See, I can just imagine this. Elizabeth, she's, she's carrying this beautiful baby boy in her arms, and neighbors and strangers are coming up to her, and some of the people that have no idea what her story is, they come up to Elizabeth, go, oh, Elizabeth, wow, wow, you must be such a proud grandmother. And the moment she hears the word grandmother, she's like, excuse me? This is my child. I'm the mother. They go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm just looking at you. You look so, uh, experienced. And he's like, you mean old? No, I'm the mom. And guess what? It's because nothing is impossible with God. Let me tell you what God did for me. And and it becomes an amazing opportunity for Elizabeth to share the story of how God worked in amazing ways in her life. In the same way, maybe you've been going through a tough time. The reason why God allows that tough time is so that eventually you're going to have a story to tell the people around you of the way that God worked in your life so that they can know something powerful about who God is as well. Amen. Amen. And so that's what's happening with Elizabeth. Look at verse 59. What does it say? It says, On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. Turn to your neighbor and say, No, he is to be called John. Would you take your Bibles would you underline these two very important words in verse 60? It's the two words are spoke up. Would you underline those words? Spoke up. Others are saying to Elizabeth, let's call him Zechariah Jr. Or let's call him Zacky." No, but Elizabeth's like, no. He's to be called John. She spoke up. Can you speak up a bit? This is what she did. And verse 61 says, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. Now, look at that verse, verse 62. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. You might be thinking, hey, JB, why are they making signs to Zechariah. He's not deaf. He's mute. And he can't talk, right? But he can still hear, can't he? Well, you've got to understand this is very often, not all the time, but very often in the Bible, when there is an, a reference to muteness, it goes along with deafness. Jesus was actually known as the one who healed the mute and the deaf, and it was something where deafness and muteness came together. Zechariah, in this case, wasn't just mute, he was also deaf. He wasn't just unable to hear, or he, wasn't able to, he wasn't just unable to contribute to the discussion about his baby's name, he wasn't even able to hear hear that discussion about his baby's name. And so as a result, the people in the home, they're trying to communicate with Zechariah, and all they can do is play a game of charades with him. They're like, hey, hey, Zach, hello, Zach, you can you, you can see me, right? You can't hear me, but you can see me, right? Yeah? Yeah, okay, okay. Here's a, what do you want to call your, your baby? That baby, you know, wah, 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 that baby. What do you want to call this baby? And Zechariah is like, Zach, can you speak up a bit? Gasak, can you speak up? And he's like, finally, he, he says, okay, uh, he, he, see, he sees there's a writing tablet on his table and he points to the writing tablet and, and someone gives him the writing tablet. And see, back then, you might like, don't, don't be confused, a writing tablet was not an iPad. Uh, it, it wasn't one of those kind of devices. But what it was, was it was basically a piece of wood covered in wax and used a writing implant to draw or to write on it. And this is what happens, look at verse 63. What does he do? He asks for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. See, To everyone's astonishment, see, why are they astonished? They're like, oh, finally, Elizabeth and Zach, they agree on something. Or, oh, finally, or, I, I thought he was going to call him Zach Jr. I didn't know he was going to call him, uh, you know, John. No, see, there's why they were so astonished. It's because Zach couldn't hear. He couldn't hear the conversation about how Elizabeth was saying, no, his name is John. And yet when they ask Zach, what is your son's name? He also said, his name is John. They're all kind of, whoa. Something's going on here, but something even more astonishing takes place right after. Look at verse 64. What happens? It says, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loose, and he began to speak, praising God. He's not mute or deaf anymore. Look at verse 65. What does it say? It says, the neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. See, I want you to understand this today. This is probably the most important thing I can tell you for this morning as we get ready for Christmas next week is this. Notice this, is that in order for this baby John to get on the right start for his life, in order for this baby John to start stepping into God's plan for his life, in order for this baby John to be able to start preparing the way for Jesus later on, both of John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them, had to learn to speak up for him. Both of them had to learn to speak up for him, even when it was awkward. Even when it was uncomfortable, even when other people disagreed, even when there were obstacles in their way, they had to speak up for him because if they didn 't speak up for him, then his destiny would be derailed. They would have called him Zach or Zach Jr, and he would have missed part of the destiny God had for him, which is to be the john that 's the John of the, John the baptist he 's going to be the John who 's going to lead people to jesus and in order to protect that destiny, Zechariah and Elizabeth had to learn to speak up. Can you speak up? A bit? And see, not only were they speaking up for John, even more, they were speaking up for God. And see, in a very similar way, I'm here to tell you this, is that you were made to speak for God. There will be times in your life when to protect the work that God is doing in your life, you need to speak up for God. There will be times in your life when to protect the people that are in your care, you need to speak for God. There will be times when if you want to experience the greater things that God wants to do in and through your life, you will need to speak for God. There will be times when if you want to step into the greater version of who you were made to be this coming year, you will need to speak for God. And see, whether it's in your home, or it's in your school, or it's in your workplace, or it's in your city, or it's among your friends, it's about learning to speak for God. For God and speak up for Him. Can you speak up a bit? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Can you speak up a bit? See, what we're talking about today is learning to speak up for God. And see, what does it mean to speak up for God? How do you speak up for God? We're going to talk about that today because I learned from this passage a number of lessons. I'm going to tell you five things about speaking up for God this morning that I think are going to really help you as we go into Christmas together. And I hope you you take some good notes this morning. Why don't you write this down? Number one is this. To speak up for God means to agree with what God says about you. To speak up for God means to agree with God on what he says about you. See, this passage that we just read Is teaching us about the power of agreement. And it's not just the power of when a husband and a wife agree, because that's very powerful. But even more powerful is the power of when you decide to agree with what God is saying about your life. It's the power of agreement. See, nine months before all this happened, Zechariah did not agree with what God was saying about his life. Nine months before, he was doubting, he was unbelieving, and because he didn't believe and didn't agree with what God was saying about what was going to happen with his life, guess what happened? Zach lost his ability to speak. Zach lost his ability to hear. Zach lost his ability to lead. Zach lost his ability to function properly because he didn't believe and he didn't agree with what God says about your life. And that's what happens with you and I too, is that when we don't agree with what God says about our lives, we find that we're just out of whack a little bit we can't really hear, we can't really speak for him, we can't really hear from him, we can't really lead the way we were meant to lead, is, that, is because we don't agree with what God says about who we are. And as a result, our, 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 our way of living, our way of thinking is a bit out of line. But guess what? The moment when Zechariah expresses his agreement with what God says, that's the moment when his voice was restored. That's the moment when his destiny and his son's destiny are protected. That's when people who are watching are amazed. And see, it's the power of agreement. Everyone say the power of agreement. And the same way I want to tell you this this morning is that one of the most powerful And most important things that you can do this Christmas, that you can do in the end of 2018 and into 2019, the most important thing, one of the most important things you can do for yourself, for your family, for your church, for your future, for your city, is to agree with what God says about you. See, it's, in many ways, it sounds so simple. You know, Romans 10 says, you know, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, according to the Bible, salvation is as simple as agreeing. It's as simple as speaking up and saying, yes, I agree I'm a sinner. Yes, I agree I need a Savior. Yes, I believe that Savior's name is Jesus. Yes, I believe he died for my sins. Yes, I agree that he rose again from the grave. Yes, I believe he died and he rose and he's alive today. And yes, I believe that because of him and what he did on the cross, I am forgiven. I am made new. I am chosen. I am unconditionally loved. I've got a purpose. I've got a future. I'm a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Come on, give God a big hand and a big shout in this place right now that's the power of agreement you know when we take this bible in our hands before we start the message and we say stuff like this is my bible it is god's word i am what it says i am i have what it says i have i can do what it says i can do what are you doing whether you realize it or not you're agreeing with what god's word says about you I am what it says I am. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. And see, that's because you're agreeing. There's power in agreement. Tell me what to say. There's power in agreement. And that's why I want to encourage you, church, this morning, is that if you want to experience the power of agreement, if you want to agree with what God says about you, you need to know what God says about you. You need to read what God says about you. You need to hear what God says about you. Because God's Word is our life, it's our food. And so I encourage you to be a good student of the Word of God. Read God's Word. Be a good seeker of the Word of God. Spend time with Him. That's when we do that, we have an ability to agree with what God says about you and me. If you agree with that, give me a good amen. 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 Number one is that. Number two, write this down. To speak up for God means to say no thoughts that aren't from God. There's a flip side to it. That to agree with God is part of it, but to say no to thoughts that aren't from God is also part of speaking up for God. Why don't you look with me at verse 59 with me right now it with a big loud voice. What does it say? On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. See what's going on? Is Elizabeth is faced with thoughts and ideas and proposals that are not from God. She already knows what God said about her son. She already knows his name is going to be John. And yet people say, oh, call him Zach or call him Bobby or call him call him something else. But he's like, no, no. And, and what does she say? She has to say no. Everyone say no. And see, Jesus had to do the same. You know, when he's he was tempted in the desert, you know, three times, you know, the, the Satan comes up to him and goes, if you are the son of God. <laughs> turn this stone into bread and then and 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 jesus what does he do he fights back by saying no he says, no, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's fighting back by saying no to thoughts that are not from God and agreeing with what God has already said about him. Jesus would do that later on. Well, there's, a, well, there's one time he's with his disciples and he's speaking with the disciples. He's saying, okay, the son of man, that's me. I'm going to die. I'm going to, I, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. I'm going to be betrayed by my, my closest friends. And then I'm going to rise again from the grave. And one of his closest disciples, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, no, Lord, may this never happen to you. And that moment, Jesus turns around. He looks at Peter and says, away from me, Satan. Get behind me. You don't have, the, you don't have in mind the thoughts of man, but the th- you don't have in mind the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of man. And see, what was he, he's not calling Peter Satan. Peter wasn't Satan. But what he was doing was he was identifying that there are certain thoughts, certain ideas that were threatening to invade his mind that were not from God, that were opposed to what God had already said about his life. And he needed to come strong against it and say, no, get away from me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And I got to tell you this, is that I find that for myself, on almost a daily basis, I need to do this as well is that sometimes you may find that there are thoughts that trouble you, that you know are not from God. And what do you do? Just sit there and let those thoughts control you? You sit there and just let those thoughts affect you? No, you need to take a stand against it. You need to speak up for God and say, no, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I'll give you an example. Sometimes I'll have this very worrying thought about something that's going to happen. And it's it's, it's this irrational fear that I have. Oh, something, this, this thing might happen. And I have to take a stand often. Whenever that thought comes to mind, you know, I might be in bed. I might be driving. It just randomly comes to mind. I'll have to take a stand against it and say, Satan, get away from me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I'll usually try to do that in the private. You know, I'll just kind of, Satan, get away from me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And by taking that stand, by saying no to those thoughts that are not from God, I'm speaking up for God in my life. I'm speaking up and taking a stand so that I don't allow a worry, an irrational fear, a faithless thought to enter my mind and start affecting the way that I think, feel, and live. If you believe us, say amen. In the same way, you might struggle with unhealthy thoughts. You might struggle with irrational fears. You might struggle with worries that for some reason just keep coming back to you. What you can do is instead of just letting them come and letting them affect you and letting them control you, you take your stand. You say, get away from me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. If you struggle with uh, you know, a, a poor self-image, you're often looking down yourself, yourself. Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm so ugly. I'm useless. I'm a mistake. I'm all alone. No one loves me. You know what? You need to take a stand against those thoughts that are not from God. You need to say, In Jesus' name, Satan, get away from me. I proclaim and I declare what God has already said about me, that I am loved unconditionally, that he will never leave me or forsake me, that I am not useless, but I am useful to my master. I'm not all alone, but God is with me. I'm not ugly, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm not a mistake, I'm a masterpiece. My life is not an accident because God knows the plans he has for me, plans to prosper, not to harm me, plans to give me hope and a future and so therefore, Satan, get away from me. If you believe I give God a big hand here in this place right now, it's about taking a stand against thoughts that are not from God. If you're here and you're someone who often beats yourself up about mistakes you've made in the past, something that happened last year, something that happened 10 years ago, and you're still beating yourself up for, why did I do that? I feel so bad. I feel so guilty. I'm such a bad person. And, and Satan loves to kind of throw in your face mistakes that you've already confessed to God, that you've already asked God to forgive. Then you, you know what happens now? You, it's not about, the next step is not for you to ask for forgiveness again. The next step is for you to speak up for God. The next step for you is to take your stand and say, Satan, get away from me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I declare that I am forgiven. I declare that I am made new. I declare that in Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. That is what it means to take a stand against thoughts that are not from God. You actually have to verbalize. I find that it's not enough just to think it. Sometimes in the private, it'll be kind of weird if I said it in a crowd. I'll, I'll say it with you guys, but you know, in, my, in my own office, in my car, sometimes I'll just say it out loud. I'll say, Satan, get away from me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And I can move on with my life, taking a stand and agreeing with what God says about me. Amen. How about you? Is there a worry? Is there a temptation? Is there a fear? Is there a, you know, a negative way of thinking that you're prone to? You don't just let it happen. You take a stand against it by speaking up for God. Turn to your and say, speak up for God. Turn to someone else and say, can you speak up a bit? Number three, number three. Is this helpful so far? Let's look at number three. What else does it mean to speak up for God that we can learn from this passage? Number three, write this down. To speak up for God means to use whatever you have to share your faith with others. To speak up for God means to use whatever you have to share your faith with others. Look at verse 63. It says, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. See, what's Zechariah doing? Zechariah is not able to speak. He has no voice. He can't even hear. But he has got, he's got faith in his heart that he wants to express and share with others. And so what does he do? He finds whatever he has. And so he goes, oh, give me that, give me that pad right now. Let me, let me write on that right now. What is he doing? Zechariah was using what was in his hand to share what was in his heart with other people. And you might not feel like you've got a strong voice. You might not feel like you're that eloquent. You might not feel like you're that popular. Maybe you feel a little bit like Zachariah even, where you felt like you used to have a voice, but you don't anymore. You feel like you used to have influence, but that influence is a lot smaller than it used to be. But if you will use what God has placed in your hand right now to express the faith that's in your heart, God is going to use you to speak up for him. Amen. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. Don't focus on what is lost, focus on what you have left. And see, sometime, you know, sometime this coming week, we've got something very special going on that you have in your hand. It's called our Christmas services. It's an amazing opportunity for you to invite your friends who've never been to church before, who don't normally go to church, to come and celebrate Christmas with us and experience the love of God in hopefully a new and a powerful way. And this is in your hand. You've got invitations that are in your hand. You've got time right now that's in your hand. You've got opportunities that are in your hand. That's why I've been telling you, don't, don't invite 20. 20 20, 30 different people because you never know who's going to say yes or who's going to say no. And so use what is in your hand to express what's in your heart. Amen. I said amen. 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 And see, you know, I'll give you a story. Like after, you know, you've been hearing me, taking the week after we encourage you guys to invite 20, 30 different people to our Christmas services and our Christmas events. You know, there was one day a few weeks ago when my son Bradley, he's six years old, and he was hearing me say, you know, invite 20, 30 people. and And he decided he wanted to do the same thing and what he did was he wrote down a list of all the people he wanted to invite and it was all his classmates in his class and his his homeroom teacher and his school principal and a couple more teachers and he came up with a list of 31 people and he decided you know, and, and, you know a couple weeks ago he, had, he he grabbed all these different invitations and he you know at first he had he's counting them just i've I've got I've got 11 invitations and he's like kind of doing like kind of grade 1 math 31 minus 11 uh, is uh uh, oh yeah, twenty, twenty. I need twenty more invitations. So he goes around. He goes around, you know, trying to get twenty more invitations to pancakes with Santa. And then that day, I remember that morning, he had all these invitations in his hand. I, I I've got him in the back of my car while I'm driving him to school. And and I was like, oh, okay. So you're gonna invite your friends today? He's like, yeah. And then he goes in. What am what, what happening? was he, he goes into the school. He goes up to, his, uh, you know, to, to, to his, his, his locker. He puts his bag down. He puts his coat down. He grabs his invitations, and he goes into his classroom, and he gives one invitation to his teacher, his homeroom teacher. And uh, the homeroom teacher looks at the invitation, and I'm not sure if it's because it had the word church on it. I'm not sure if it had a cost on it. It was like a you know, $5 cost, but we were going to pay for it, but uh, maybe we didn't, didn't say it clearly enough. Um, but uh, she's like, oh hey, Bradley, can I see those invitations that you have there? And, and she took the stack of the invitations. She brought it to the school principal. Uh, the school principal took it. He looked at it. They discussed it. and then Okay, they said, hey, Bradley, I'm sorry, but, but I, I don't think we should share these here today. And uh, what we did was, later on that day, they had a chat with us, and we realized, okay, maybe there's a different way we can do this. We couldn't use those invitations, and so we sat Bradley down, Pastor Shar, myself, and said, okay, if we're gonna invite our friends, if we're gonna invite your friends, Bradley, then we have to find a different way. And what we're gonna do, we're not gonna use the invitations, instead, you can find the friends that you want to invite, we're gonna find their parents, we'll invite their parents, and if there's a match, we're gonna take them to Pancakes with Santa, or if there's a match, we're gonna take them to Christmas service. And praise God, even despite that one minor setback at the beginning, We end up taking about 15 people to Pancakes of Santa last Saturday. Give God a big, big hand for that right now. And we've got more coming this Sunday to our Christmas service. And what do I learn from that? Is this, is that when you speak up for God, when you try to share your faith, will you go through obstacles? Yes, you'll go through obstacles. Will you go through setbacks? Yes, you'll go through setbacks. Will you experience some rejection? Yes, you'll experience some some, some rejection. But don't let that stop you. Use whatever you have in your hand to share what's in your heart with others. If you believe that, say amen. And so here's a question for you today. Who are you reaching out to this Christmas? Who are you bringing to our Christmas services? Who are you trying to be a blessing to during this Christmas season when people's hearts are more open than they usually are? Who are you trying to bless? Can you speak up a bit, church? Church, can we speak up a bit? Can we speak up this Christmas? If my six-year-old can speak up a bit, you can speak up a bit as well. You're only 18 or you're only 28. So that's the thing. We're going to speak up a bit because let's do an awesome job of reaching our city for Jesus this Christmas. Come on, give Jesus a big hand in this place right now. We want to do an awesome job of sharing our faith at Christmas season. Number four, number four, to speak up for God means to rely on the Holy Spirit to help you speak. To speak up for God is not just something that you do on your own, but it's about relying on the Holy Spirit to help you. Why don't you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 67. What does it say? It says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. See, what's going on here? Zechariah, all of a sudden, he gains his voice again. And now, he's prophesying by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're wondering what prophecy is, well, first let me tell you what his prophecy is. If you look at verse 68 to 75, he's talking about Jesus. He's prophesying about what Jesus will do later on. And in verse 76 to 79, he starts prophesying about his own son. But if you're wondering what prophecy is, prophecy is not simply about telling the future, foretelling, but in many ways it's about saying or having a sense of what the Holy Spirit may be wanting to say to a particular person or a particular group, in a particular situation. It's not necessarily telling the future. Sometimes it's about communicating God's heart for that person, or that group, or that situation right now. And prophecy is not just about, oh, whatever I think, or whatever's in my mind, but it's having a sense of who the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit wants to say. It's about depending on the Holy Spirit. And see, the lesson here is this, that we learned from Zechariah, is that part of speaking up for God is being sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's not just about you trying to figure things out, but it's about you depending on, leaning on, relying on the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to the little things that the Holy Spirit may nudge you to say or do to lead people to Jesus. For example, this past week I was in charge of leading a and hosting a a Christmas party with some friends, and uh, this Christmas party wasn't just for Christians. It was for you know you know actually most of them are not Christians, and uh, you know we were going to just kind of play it really safe. Uh, it was just going to be like a, you know, like just one like good old gift exchange. People can steal your gift and you can, you know, get another gift. And, and it's just going to be really casual and, and just really neutral, you know, just really just sort of that way, and, which is fun, but doesn't have a whole lot to do with the original meaning of Christmas. And, and, and as the day for that party approached, when I remember was driving in my car, I just sensed the Holy Spirit nudged me a little as if to say, JB, this is a Christmas party, but why is it that you give gifts to everyone except the birthday boy? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, is there a way? Because many of these people, you know, they don't even want to step into a church right now. So what is the gentle way that we can introduce them to Jesus in a way? And so what we did is on that day, I brought my guitar. And in the middle of our gift exchange, we just sang a song. We sang a Christmas card. We sang Silent Night. Holy night, you know, uh, all is calm, all is bright, and it talks about Jesus, and just something happened in the atmosphere where just you just sense that something was changing in the atmosphere. And, uh, and, and after we finished our gift exchange, you know, later on at the end of that gift exchange, one of the girls, who, who's not a Christian, she came up to me and goes, you know, I'm really glad we sang that song because you know what? Like, you know, like I, I've actually been going to, to church and, uh, and it's another really good church in the city. And, 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 and she's like, you know what? I'm, I, I'm reading the Bible more and I have this question. And, 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 and she started talking to me. we had this awesome conversation about uh, some, some stuff that she is thinking about when it comes to God and thinking about when it comes to the Bible. And she's not quite a Christian yet, she's, but she's so close. She's so close. And I thought to myself, man, that is awesome. Later on, she was the one who was in charge of the music. And at first, we were just playing all this Christmas pop music, you know, Justin Bieber. And, uh, you know, we're playing, uh, you know, what, like uh, Kelly Clarkson and all this stuff. But then she, she changed the music to worship music. And all of a sudden, in this non-Christian or neutral environment, I'm hearing songs that we sing right here at church. And I'm like, like, this is amazing. This neutral place has become a place of worship. People who aren't normally in church are listening to worship songs, and they are totally okay with it. And they're having a good time as we do it. And what I learned from that is that it was a really cool moment where I learned that speaking up for God often begins with listening to the Holy Spirit. It's these little subtle things that God may ask you, nudge you to do or to say, that can lead people to Jesus. But you need to start by listening for Him. You need to start by depending on the Holy Spirit. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, "Depend on the Holy Spirit"? Let me ask you this question: How much do you depend on the Holy Spirit day to day? How much do you rely on the Holy Spirit? Or is your life day-to-day more just, I do what I think, what I want, what I think is right, and I do it in my own strength? See, we have a, a very talented and hardworking staff here at Thrive Church. If you believe that, say amen. Let's give our, our staff a big hand in this place. They, they work really hard for us. And uh, you know, in our daily staff prayer meetings, I'll tell you this, is that we, we pray two prayers that we pray the most often during our, our, our staff prayer meetings is this. One is that we pray for you guys is that we pray every single time we get together, we pray you know, that, uh, you know, God, let every person here who calls to our church or home church, let your blessing be on their lives today. Let your, let your presence be in their lives today. Let your promise be on their lives today. Let your protection be on their lives today. Let wisdom be in their lives today. Let healing be in their lives today if they're sick. Let help them to reconcile if they're not doing well. You know, we, we, we pray for you guys, but there's another prayer that we almost always pray. In fact, this is the prayer that we pray all the time, and this is it, is that, Holy Spirit, we can't do anything without you. That's the prayer we pray more than any other prayer that we pray as a staff team here at Thrive. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we're desperate for you. Holy Spirit, if you don't do it, then it doesn't matter what we do. We need you so much. We are so in need of you. We can't do anything without you. And that's our prayer. It's because we know that all the stuff that we do, all the things that we try to do, mean nothing unless we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we pray that way. I encourage you to pray that way as well. That when you're getting ready for work you say holy spirit i need you i can't go into this meeting without you when you're beginning the day you say good morning holy spirit could you fill me today when you sleep at night let the last word you speak be to the holy spirit say holy spirit thank you for today it wasn't the easiest day but thank you that you were there come and be with me as i sleep what you can do is you build a relationship where you're relying more on the holy spirit and i think you're going to find this the more you rely on the holy spirit the more you're going to find that god uses you and you experience his power let me ask you this question is there a situation today where you are trying to work things out in your own strength instead of depending on the Holy Spirit. See, if we want to speak up for God, every day learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. That's number four. Number five, we're going to end off today. You guys have been great this morning. Number five is to speak up for God means to help the next generation to know him. To speak up for God means to help the next generation Know him. Would you read with me verses 76 to 79 to start off? Could you read with a big, loud voice? It says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. By which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Let me ask the worship team to come up real soon. See what's going on here? Is that this is known as Zechariah's song. He's not singing just about Jesus, but even more, he's actually singing about his own son, John. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful father-son moments that you'll find in all of the Bible is that, just imagine this, Zechariah is mute, he can't talk. Zechariah is deaf, he can't hear. And so all this time, he's never heard his baby son's voice, up to this moment. And now, his ears are open, his mouth is loosened, all because he agreed with what God said about him, and now he can hear his baby son crying for the very first time. And he, I can just imagine, he, he goes up to his son, he picks him up in his arms, and for the first time, he's hearing his son's voice. And then Zechariah uses his own voice to speak and sing over his son in a way that's been recorded for us here. And I don't know what that song sounds like. If it was me and my sons, it would be like, you know, I'd be carrying my son and go, Oh, Bradley. What a beautiful treasure you are. I'm proud of you. Thank God for you, my strong and happy boy. Oh, Bradley, how I love you with all of my heart. My strong and happy, wise and healthy son. Bradley, my beautiful boy. It was my it was my other son Caleb. Caleb be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or be anxious. You are our miracle. Believe us, you can do anything. Through Jesus, baby, you're loved and you're treasured. Uh, you know, and and go on and on and on. And what is that? It's, it's about singing, it's the father singing over his son. Do you guys know that your heavenly father sings over you? He sings over you. He sang a song of salvation over you when you didn't even understand what salvation was. And Zechariah, he's singing a song of salvation over his own son, John. Get this, before Zechariah was known as the guy who was mute because he didn't believe that God could give him a son. And now, Zechariah is known as the guy who sings in faith over the son that God gave him. Isn't that amazing? And you know what I love about Zechariah's song is that he's not talking down to his son. He's speaking up. He's speaking up to God. He's speaking up to the sons and his future. He's communicating an encouraging, powerful vision for his son John's life and what his future will be. And the fact is this. The fact is this. Given Zechariah's age... He probably didn't see all the things that John the Baptist was doing when he was older. He probably didn't notice it. He probably couldn't see it because he probably passed on long before, but he saw it in that vision. He saw it in that song. And, and what I learned from that is this, is that when you speak up for God, you prepare a next generation to know him. Notice what happens that after Zechariah speaks up for God and he prophecies this vision for his son, notice what happens to his son. Look at verse 80 with me. Can you look at verse 80 with me? What does it say? It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. Stop right there. Because Zechariah, his father, spoke up for God and spoke up for his son, the child grew. The child became strong in spirit. Those two things go hand in hand. In other words, because Zechariah spoke up for God, his son grew up in God to do greater things than Zechariah would ever do. And I'm here to tell you the day so Thrive Church, as we finish, finish off this morning, is that just as Zechariah spoke over the next generation to prepare the way for him to know Jesus, there is a next generation that God wants to use you so that they can know who Jesus is too. There's a next generation of children of God who don't even know that they're children of God yet. You can find them in your workplace. You can find them in your home. You can find them in your classroom. You can find them on the block where you live. These are the next generation of children of God who don't even know that God loves them right now. And when you will speak up for God, when you will agree with God about what He says about you, when you will say no to thoughts that are not from God, like you can't do it. You know, who are you to think that? And when you no, say no to those things, say, Satan, get behind me. When you will use what is in your hand to share what is in your heart with others, when you will depend on the Holy Spirit, what's gonna happen? God's gonna use you to prepare a new generation of people who aren't even at Thrive Church right now, but they will be one day. Because they're gonna know who Jesus is, they're gonna know that He. He is who he said he is. He's the savior of the world. He's the rising sun who died and rose again. Come on, give Jesus a big hand because it's all about him in the end. Come on, shout to God in this place, church. Would you stand up from your feet? And would you turn to your neighbor and say, can you speak up a bit? Turn to someone else and say, can you speak up a bit? Amazing things happen when we speak up a bit. So let's speak up a bit right now. Let's speak up a bit this week. Let's speak up a bit this Christmas. And let's do our very best to share God's love with the people in our city this Christmas. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place it together right now. Right now, those of you who've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, The Bible says that God loves you so much he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. That salvation is not something we can earn by our own good works, but it's through the forgiveness of sins. It's through how Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. If you want to receive forgiveness from God for your sins, if you want to be called a child of God and have a relationship with God that lasts not just now, but for forever, I want to encourage you to raise your hand to God. We want to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life. It's simple as agreeing with God. It's as simple as opening up your heart to him. And so why don't you do that right now? If you want to receive Jesus, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, why don't you just read Just lift up your hand to God right now. Don't worry about your neighbor's doing. Just just lift up your hand to God right now. Lift up your hand to heaven right now. And we're just going to pray together with you right now. And those who've prayed this prayer before, why don't you pray that with me right now? You can say, dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your amazing love. How you died on the cross to pay for my sins how you rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and say, please come in, forgive me my sins, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, starting today, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I am a child of God, I am a citizen of heaven. I am forgiven, I am clean, I am new, and the best is yet to come. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give Jesus your Savior, the King of kings, the name of every name, all the praise you can this morning. Come on, shout to God in this place.